Welcome back to Finding the Edge podcast. I'm Garrett Boyum. In today's episode, in true Finding the Edge fashion, we had a very emergent discussion with Caleb Abney, where we did a live commentary on the Brewers-Braves NLDS game, which happened to be the game that the Braves ended up clinching. It's starting to feel like a trend every time I have Caleb on and I'm about to release his episode that he is getting featured in you know, some other podcast or there's an announcement. So per the trend, it seems like this week as I'm about to release this episode with Caleb, he was just named head coach for Lancaster Bible College out in Pennsylvania. So big congrats to Caleb Abney. Um, if you guys want to see Caleb's offensive style on full display, I highly recommend you guys uh, follow Lancaster Bible College and keep up with all the great things that he's going to be doing there. And so big congrats to Caleb. Caleb and I today had a great conversation watching the game. And today's podcast felt a lot more like a conversation than um, an interview. So hopefully you guys feel that it's it's much more, much more natural conversation. Um, super excited to share this with you guys. What I ended up doing is clipping uh, what I thought would be most interesting for you guys out of that conversation because um, there's there's a lot of dead space and some technical issues going on there. So we clipped all that out so that uh, hopefully it's it, it stays really engaging for you guys. Also, too, we actually ended up doing a, another live stream me and Robert did of a World Series game. So if you guys want to check that out, it's, it's definitely a, it's a lot longer than this one. Um, part of the reason that this one ended up being sh- so short was that my camera ended up dying partway through it. So it it will abruptly end. So just be forewarned on that if it doesn't have like a natural exit point. But regardless, if you're not following Caleb already, uh, make sure to follow him on Twitter and then make sure you're following Lancaster Bible College. But yeah, so make sure if you want to see the live stream that Robert and I did of the World Series game, make sure to check out our YouTube channel. We also have a few other previous episodes up there. We've started to do more video podcasts um, obviously the audio will always be available. Um, but if you want to see, uh, some of the visual parts and see our faces and all that good stuff, um, with the world series live stream, uh, we actually did pull up some video and, and talk some base running. So if you want to check that out, head over there. Also on our YouTube channel, I'll put up clips of our conversation. Um, and so you can always, uh, refer to any clips that I put out on social media, uh, on our YouTube channel, it'll all be there. So make sure to head over there. Um, Hit subscribe, like, share, all that sort of good stuff. Without further ado, our commentary on the Brewers-Braves NLDS game. Go for it. Um, John Smoltz. Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, in some ways, though, I there's some things that he says where I'm not completely anti it, but I understand what you mean. He, there, there are, there are, yes, there are some things where I'm like, yep, cool, rock on. I can get behind that. There are some things that he says that it's like, dude, you are not good for this game. Like, like, 
get with it just a little bit. Stop being such an angry old man, a get off my lawn type of guy. <laughs> old man um, screams at the clouds. Oh, it's just atrocious. He actually, he, he literally said this. Um, it was yesterday, I think. Uh, yeah, I think it was the Red Sox Rays game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because it was J.D. Martinez, a pitch that was in off the plate, inside. It was not a strike. It was inside. It was very close to being a strike, but it was inside. He slices it to right field for a weak, like, short fly out. Mm-hmm. And John Smoltz, I mean, you know, he's Mr. Go the other way, hit oppo, everything, just like every other standard, traditional, old school baseball guy. Like, mm-hmm. you literally sh- shouldn't even be trying to get a hit unless it's to the opposite field. Um, <laughs> and uh, he, like, these words actually came out of his mouth. It's actually easier. Like, that's actually the pitch that you want to try to go the other way on. It's easier to do it on that pitch. I'm like, what? Excuse me? It's easier to hit the ball to the opposite field on a pitch that's inside off the plate. <laughs> that that that's not even consistent with like baseball conventional wisdom. No. I don't even know like what he was trying to get at there. He just really wanted to make his point and be right about opposite field hitting, but it drives me nuts. <laughs> Dude, how about uh the Giants, man? Yep. That ball that Gavin Lux hit to end the game was 107 miles an hour. And it did not go out of the ballpark. The wind, I, I, I guess, was crazy at Dodger Stadium last night. That, that was to end the game, and it would have tied it if it had gone out. Oh, dude. The, um, that's the thing that I really liked watching the Giants game. And I didn't see that one, but the, the, I think it was the first game I was watching back through it and they had the wind, like how the wind, they had a graphic showing um, how the wind was moving mm-hmm. in the ballpark. And I'm like, can like, this is why I love the ecological approach. And it's not like it's, you know, nobody thought about it, you know, without the ecological approach, but it just, it highlights one of the factors that the players are going to have to deal with. Yeah. And just to me, it screams like you got to be more adaptable, dexterous because well, in last night's game, that ball would have gone out under normal circumstances, but do you have another way to be able to hit to still score runs? I mean, yeah. I get it that, you know, the Giants have a good good pitching staff too, so I'm not denigrating that, but at the same point, for the coaches that always harp on, you know, just hit it over the hit over the fielders, you know, like yeah, yeah I get it, and it's true until you have the win that you have to deal with. Yeah, when it's like blowing straight into you. Yeah. So I think like maybe in those moments, like just lowering lowering your sight slightly, maybe like instead of having such high uh possible launch launch angles that you're going for, you're, you know, hitting maybe lower line drives that just barely get over the infielders so that you know, and maybe that's your like that's your uh, that's your objective in that game because you don't want to get up in the wind too much where it's not able to carry as much. But what's also interesting is in that game, Evan Longoria hit a hit a bomb. Like the only run that was scored was his mm-hmm. own run, mm-hmm. so somehow he was able to. But it's it's also where he hit it on the field. I think he pulled that one. Whereas did, where yeah. did where did um, it where actually did wasn't 
it was uh it was a similar area of the field. It was a little was more it? towards okay. center field, but Gavin Gavin Lux's was to it was like to left center field. Mm-hmm. And he's a left handed hitter, so he like it was Oppo. Um and uh Evan Longoria's was kind of straight away left field. So they were similar areas of the field, but you know, maybe in that moment that Evan Evan Longoria hit his, maybe the wind wasn't gusting quite as much and or maybe it, like there was like a big gust that came up right when Lux hit his ball to left to left center field. So um you know, just the dynamics of how that works and the timing of when you can hit balls is interesting. I mean that I don't feel like anybody should get that into the weeds of it quite honestly. Yeah. When you're playing. But it, at some level if you know the conditions that you're in from and they're fairly consistent um, or they're consistent for that inning, you should, I think we should be working with hitters to make them adjustable. And to your point, I don't think it's a, you know, launch angle is hard enough as it is, but just shifting your intention to, you know, maybe hitting a line drive and trying to, to hit more line drives over the infield, you know, or trying to work balls into the gap, um, a little bit yeah. more on a lower angle, I which, mean, which that's, that's actually from like a coaching standpoint and a hitter development standpoint. That's where I start anyway, mm-hmm, especially mm-hmm. with college hitters. That's where I start. And there are some guys that, you know, I may be okay with them, you know, going a little bit higher. Um, and you know, I'm fine with giving a little more freedom on that. But for the most part, especially with college hitters, just hit the ball hard into the outfield. That's it. Let's, let's start there. Um, Mm-hmm. There are no conditions. There are zero environmental conditions where that is not ever going to not be a good result. Right. So let's start with the thing that's always going to be a good result and let's work from there. If you end up getting underneath the ball a little bit more and the conditions warrant it, then okay, you've hit a ball over an outfielder's head. Cool. If you end up getting on top of a ball a little bit more, but you've still hit it hard. Um, you still may have a decent chance if you've hit it hard enough to where it's like a one hopper through the infield, just as long as it's not right at an infielder. So um, start start with line drives into the outfield, and then let's let's uh, work from there, and then we'll make adjustments and be adaptable based on the conditions from there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also based on the type of hitter that you are and what your exit exit velo potential is currently at at that time, um, as you're trying to build it. I mean, because the only counterexample I can think of, and it's not really that good of one, is I think my senior year we were playing St. Thomas, and there's just massive wind, and I swear this kid probably hit a line drive at like 110, and it just went, the wind literally knocked it down so that went straight to the center fielder. Mm-hmm. I mean, that ball was absolutely crushed, and yeah. the wind just killed it. Yeah. So, you know, it's... It's one of those things where uh, it's you can't kind of being aware of that. Yeah, right. But too, like, what what are we going to just hit ground balls there? Like, I mean, it, it's one of those unfortunate things where it's like you did everything right and it just wasn't good enough. <laughs> so, yeah. so, such is such is life in the game of baseball. Yep, that's the way it goes. What do you got on the open jersey? The the no the no button of the top two, just the like chest popping out. I don't mean. I mean, do, do I like it? No, not yeah. really. But uh, <laughs> I don't. 
there are certain things where I just don't care. Yeah. You know, like it's not, it's not something that to me is that interesting. Like if it makes you feel more swaggy and you, and you play better, I don't care, but you got to play better though. <laughs> yes. If you're going to do that. You better, you better back that up. How is, um, Yelich done this year? Not good. Um, that's kind of what I heard. I was actually thinking about that the last couple of days when they've talked about how he's not had a very good season and has struggled and watching him in this series, you can definitely see that too. Like he doesn't look comfortable. He is missing pitches that he has hit in the past. Um, whether it be just swing and miss foul ball or hitting weak, weak ground balls or weak contact right on cue. He just got beat by a pitch down the middle. Um, it's it's it is interesting it highlights to me the you know kind of the nature of the nature of development specifically on the hitting side oh, man he gosh. was very late holy toledo <laughs> this is why that? yes this is why though i love the side angle you know because i thought maybe you know what he was just under it no no it's so obvious he late. was yeah to me, that's the only benefit to the side angle is you can see contact point. Um, yeah. Uh, and you can see like how late somebody is. Um, but to me, it highlights how it's something in hitting. We just kind of, we just kind of push to the side and say, well, hitting's really hard. You know, that's like a, a stereotypical, like a very typical conventional thing that we say, which it is. Yes. But, like, for a guy to go from as heralded as he was, like, God's gift to hitting, and he's got everything figured out, and because he made this change to his swing, or he made this adjustment, or he did this, and now he's arrived, and then now, like, he's, and then this year he's been very average, like, or a little below. And it just, to me, shows, like, no matter what changes to your swing or changes to, you know, to what you think from a hitting standpoint that you've like arrived, adaptability is always going to be something that if you don't prioritize that on a year to year basis, like consistently and being, being in the moment with the pitch in that exact moment and adapting to that pitch. And that's like that, that, that should trump everything that should trump whatever swing changes, whatever. Oh, he's doing this different this year than he's done in the past. Like, if adaptability isn't your goal in the moment with the pitch in that exact second millisecond, um, then you're going to have these ups and downs where you're like constantly going like this. Cause you're just relying on that neck, that next swing change or that next approach change that like that it's, it limits development because we just do these like wild back and forth shifts uh, in our perspectives on what we think works. And most of the time it's a movement aesthetic that doesn't actually translate to success, but we attribute it to it. And well, I mean, I, I just wonder if we were to commit to adaptability and if that were the most important thing, if we could find some more consistency instead of these wild changes in levels of, of success for these stars. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I agree. It- I mean, for me, 
it is about that moment being fully present, being fully connected to to the information in the environment, you know, i.e. the pitcher and the ball as a oh wow great play occurs right there. Oh wow. Um I mean that even right there requires you to be in the moment, you know. And actually, so okay. This is uh I don't know if this will make the podcast or not, but so you know, not to touch on any of the points that you just expanded upon. Um, but let's say somebody is like way too in their head when they're hitting or playing, or let's say trying to field a ball, just have them have a conversation with you while they're, while they're doing it mm-hmm. and just shut their brain down yep. <laughs> from like what they're doing. Yep. Uh, I was, I was doing some, I was working with somebody, um, for like with martial arts and we're trying to take more of an ecological approach and we we're talking about how, you know, how we don't want what we're doing to be rote, but yet you still need to have a feel for the techniques. Um, and so in it, he was just talking about how, you know, his training partner that he was working with um, was just always, it was just saying how he can't do something or whatever. And so they start doing their, their movement generator and he just starts talking to them and they're just having a conversation. And then all of a sudden he's doing the stuff that he said he couldn't do. Yep. He, and so. he didn't realize it. Because he was placing no. the limitations on himself and his mind mm-hmm. in the moment rather than allowing his his unexplored athletic ability to mm-hmm. just come out naturally. And coaches don't like that. Coaches no. don't like that because coaches yeah. are egomaniacs. And I know that that's an extreme thing to say, but it's true. Like Coaches can't handle when something happens without them being the ones that did it. And it's like, just let go of that. Like Just let go. It's okay. Athletes can do things without you specifically prescribing it. I promise you, especially the higher levels you go to, they have capabilities that you that you might be getting in the way of because you want to make sure that you have things go the way that you want it to because it makes you look good. And well, yeah, that's the, like that is such a constraint and an, an inhibitor to athletic development, in my opinion. So, what would you say on that? Like. Um slow-mo from the side. Like I like looking at that and being like, well, he was just a little early. Yeah. He was early and he like swung over it. Like he wasn't even like, he wasn't even on the same plane as, as that pitch. Like he like, it was like this. Yeah. I mean, granted, it's not a good pitch to swing at. We're, we're right. not saying sure. that by any sure. means. That is not a good pitch to swing at. But if he were to hit it, like if he would, what adjustment would he have to make in order for him to actually be able to hit it? Well, he was early and he wasn't he on was the same plane. He wasn't on the he wasn't on the best plane to be able to actually run into that pitch, even if he hadn't have been early. Right. Um, I mean, and too, like I like to think about, like, okay, what other ways could he have bought himself more time to allow the pitch to get a little bit further in, and or because that pitch was so low to the ground, could he have actually gone out and moved, you know, allowed his weight to shift even more forward? To and take and his center, it. yeah, to go out and get it, or could he have had more side bend and more forward lean uh, with the torso and more reach so that he can extend out? Because then that mm-hmm. ball is actually easier to hit when it's actually further out in front of the plate there. So, I mean, to me, once you can uh, identify those things of like, okay, what could they have done differently? Then when you feed them other pitches or you talk and you do a debrief with them and you show them video like that, then they can go experiment, explore. And try those things out and see what works for them and what doesn't. Yep. 
So, I mean, t- well, for me, that's how I would u- utilize like that side angle slow motion. That speaks to, you know, what I think is, and I know I'm a broken record on this, that speaks to the issue with prescriptive technical model teaching mm-hmm, of the swing. Mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. you do that, when you are when you are teaching a specific swing, this is this is the correct way. And if this is in podcast audio form, I am holding up <laughs> air quotes right, right. now when I yeah. say that. Um, if this is the correct way, air air quotes um, to swing, that is that is by definition restrictive and confining, mm-hmm. and it is it is sending the message to the athlete to the hitter that this is the way that you were supposed to do this, regardless of what is placed in front of you, um, regardless of what the pitch is asking you to do or what the previous context was. Um, and it, it, by definition, limits exactly the things that you were mentioning uh, of possibly being able to go out and get it more or ride your weight out further, maybe even mm-hmm. out on your front foot, which is a no-no in terms of, of, you know, the way that we <laughs> yeah. teach hitting nowadays. Um, or just even old school. I mean, for me, that's old school because that's what I was learning when I was coming up. Yeah. You know, th- coaches were so against that. But like you are taking away those potential um, movement solutions, use, uh, movement solutions, or to use a ecological dynamics phrase, action capabilities. You are, mm-hmm. you are limiting mm-hmm. that potential um, by saying, this is the way that you swing. Well, what if you need something else that is outside of these rules that you're placing on me that I am supposed to stick within? And to me, that's why you see so many, so many hitters that can only hit pitches in the middle of the plate mm-hmm. because they never explore to try to expand that dexterity that you mentioned earlier to be able to actually get to those different pitches because they're so worried about executing this specific movement pattern. I even hate the word pattern. It, it mm-hmm. sucks. I, um, I agree. I, I agree uh, with this that. specific movement pattern that limits you from being able to get to more pitches other than just down the middle. So then what does that lead to? Then, then it leads to, and it comes out of, it's a circular causation in my opinion, this whole like, Oh, swing at pitches that you can, hit down the middle and don't like wait, like wait for, for pitchers to make a quote unquote mistake. And I'm doing air quotes again, or take, um, take three Oh yeah. Like just, Oh, you know, you just have to wait for the pitcher to make a mistake, wait for the pitcher to make a mistake. Like, like, which is why I, I've said this multiple times on social media. Like, why don't we try to create mistakes with how we train? Mm-hmm. Why don't we try to create the ability to make pitchers pitches or no longer pitchers pitchers because we are exploring all these different action capabilities to be able to then deploy on these different pitches. Then maybe we don't have to limit ourselves to just hitting pitches down the middle. That ball was smoked. Ground roll double. Uh, that was a perfect example right there. <laughs> yeah. That was a perfect example right there. That was like middle in, thigh high, like, and yeah, he smoked it on that pitch. And he probably thinks it's because of his swing. But it was because it's in the perfect place that he trains for on a regular basis and he's more attuned to that pitch. And or he was easier. just fully in the moment, you yeah. know, like too, and fully, fully attuned, adaptable and dexterous there. And, and, and this is the other thing too, though, with when it comes to when we're talking about 
like attuned, adaptable, adaptable, dexterous from an ecological dynamics approach, you're not, you're not like always the same person from moment to moment. You're changing like your psychological state changes from moment to moment. Your action kill capabilities change from moment to moment. And so we're hoping though, that through all the different training, that training environment and past experience playing the game that you have, that you'll better be able to get into those states that allow you to succeed. And, and so for me, that's, that's kind of why I say like, you know, he was attuned, adaptable and dexterous in that moment. But that is based on the experiential level that you have with those moments. Right. So in a way, yes. I mean, because going to, well, I mean, it's going to coincide with how much, with how often you found yourself yes. in this type of situation, well, well, right? Well, where where you're going with it, or where I'm going to take where you were going with it, is it what it what it'll then show is like if you're able to do it more consistently, then you're going to have more consistent results. But just in the way that you can take one person who doesn't have a ton of track record of history of being a performing at a high level, and you stick them in, and they're like, and you know, a high level moment, and then they actually perform. That's not based upon their past experience. That's based on the fact that everything in that situation, whether it's something that a coach said, maybe it's, you know, something else too that they were listening to throughout the day, they watched an inspirational video, somebody said a good word to them, whatever. And then they, you know, it combines with that moment um, when they go up to the plate and they, you know, they hit a pitch that, you know, they have no business or, you know, get a hit game-winning hit off of a pitcher they have no business uh, doing that against. That, to me, just shows that for that moment, they were in such a state that they were able to be attuned, adaptable, dexterous. So you're talking about flow, mm-hmm. like the idea of like a flow state more so than, oh, I've experienced hitting that pitch in practice, so it's easier for me to do it in competition. Well, I mean, it's both, right? Like, So what I'm saying is, is that because like what I like about an ecological approach is that we, we, we talk about complexity. Like there are mu- everything is a multifactorial event, right? So I'm, it's not taking away from what you're saying at all. It's just saying that the, the, when we assess like why something happens, it's not always because of their past experience. Right. It, uh, that is a component of it, but it doesn't, it's not necessarily a prerequisite for yeah. it. That's all I'm saying. That makes sense because there's all kinds of things that go into why we have the capability to do the things that we do from a physicality standpoint, whether it's athletic or, or not. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's back to the, the, your previous podcast, you know, maybe he ate Cheerios this morning or whatever, you know, like it, it all plays in and it, and it's, it, it's more on the perceptions of the, of the athlete and how they perceive it. But, but I mean, that's, that's, that doesn't mean that you can do everything. You do have to understand like how the system adapts, you know, perceptually. And, and to your point that you were making earlier, we want them to be able to do that more often and more frequently, not just one off one time. Like, you know, we're, we're watching the movie miracle and we just have to beat the Russians one time, yeah. you know? So that's why these things matter and actually understanding these principles and trying to implement them more frequently and more often so that the athletes can perform at a high level more frequently and more often. 
that didn't look like it felt good. <laughs> did you see that? Yeah. Did he scratch up his nose? Looks like it. I don't know if I, that's dirt or like blood. Yeah. Oh, that was right down the middle. Oh, here we go. Infield in. We could potentially have... What is the score of... The White Sox-Astros game? Six to one, top of the eighth. So, barring something crazy, the Astros are going to complete that series. Mm-hmm. The Braves win this game and then the Giants win tonight. Then we could have every series would be done today. Yeah. That's why I was like we got to do this this stream today, not tomorrow. <laughs> because there might not be anything to watch tomorrow. There may not be anything until Friday cuz that's when I think that's when uh, I think that's the schedule. Dude, that's a big game. out right there. It was. Couldn't even get it in play. To I mean, this is where in. like you know everybody talks about like, oh, just hit the ball hard and far. Mm. You don't always necessarily need to do that. Like I'd take Luis Arise in that situation, who can just find a hole. Like that works there. It does, but you're taking a greater risk from a. Uh, from a probability standpoint, because you know there's there's more infielders on the infield, sure. with a less less of a reaction time. Obviously, with them moved in, there's less of a reaction time. I mean, there's um, that, but I mean that works too if that stays fair. Nope. But like, look, all you have to do though is like by a contact hitter. Like what I'm meaning is not necessarily just a ground ball through the infield. I'm I'm meaning. Ha- with the with the ability to handle the bat, and even because right, Arise, yeah. Arise has the ability to flip it over the infield, yeah, I mean that's that's what you need in that scenario is somebody who has good bat control, good yeah. contact ability, um, who can you know basically spray the ball at different angles. I mean, a ball in the air there is going to score somebody too. I mean that's that's yeah, where right, yeah. to me when that's you got a guy in third, towards, like yeah, hit it in the air, try to hit it over 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 the infielders and you may get a hit out of it you may hit a double out of it at the very least you got a decent chance i mean as long as you don't hit it like sally of uh getting a sack fly out of it like worst case scenario so and just try to hit a hard into the outfield somewhere which you know again like we mentioned earlier that i mean that's to me that's pretty much always the goal like no matter the situation and i feel like if you start there you give yourself a really really good chance in pretty much any scenario of uh coming through in whatever situation that you're trying to come through in absolutely i mean cuz for me the whole my whole focus from the hitting side is how do we score runs mm-hmm. you know it, it's it's great to you know try to go for two two runs right there but you know what one is What's that old saying? Like one in the one in the hand is better than two in the bush. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I'd rather have a run there 
then, you know, gamble on two just in the sense of like, I'm not going to be opposed if you hit it over the fence, you know, by any means. But once you got two strikes on you, like, let's let's go for where the higher probability is. And I think that's still in. I think that's where the distinction is. Mm -hmm. The count. Yes. Or two strikes. Try to freaking crush it. And you get a pitch that you feel like you can hammer it. If you miss it, it's still probably going to be a sack fly, right? When you get the two strikes, yeah. like still try to hit it hard into the outfield, but like make your focus like I just got to find a way to hit this, uh, put the barrel just a little bit below the middle of the ball, um, and try to do that as hard as I can with the constraint of trying to make sure that I'm able to do that first and foremost. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And who knows? You still may hit a home run, like with that kind of approach. Like you mm-hmm. still may hit a double. Absolutely. In the gap, but at the very least, like you are trying to get it into the outfield, and like maybe you have a chance to at least drive that run in. You know, even if you're not driving yourself. I mean, because that right there would have gotten the run in on there, the last yep. step at. Absolutely. And now, no runs in that inning. And we'll see how many runs you know ultimately matter. In this in this game, I can't remember what was it the Rays game yesterday, uh, Boston. Mm-hmm. It came down to one run in a way. Yep. So, but I actually I like this so far of using the game as just a, a way to talk. Yep, and about to kind of bring things. up conversation about things, and it kind of reminds you of stuff. It's like examples of things in like the real game situations, which you know. Imagine this is where mm-hmm. it matters. Like, yes, <laughs> in the game, that's where it matters. We forget that so often. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So often. I mean, too, like those arm slots, just how that ball is moving. I, I find that to be hard. Obviously, you know, I don't coach at, I often don't coach at a level where guys are this good, but at the same point, like, how do you recreate that when? You know, you only have so many, so many arms, you know, like yeah. that's what I've been thinking about is how do I recreate these different pitches? Look. Yeah. And those different looks. Well, which is like, I mean, that's, that's another limitation of like traditional BP, right. Mm-hmm. Off of, off of a coach. Um, which is why like, the and I know we've talked about this before. Um, the the flaws from the perspective of picking up information off of the pitcher that exist in using pitching machines. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know that would be your like from conversations we've had previously. That would be your biggest complaint of them. And you know I know from and ecological perspective that is you know a negative part of using a pitching machine um is it real like the fact that you in a batting practice setting you face such a different type of pitch from a movement and velocity standpoint the fact that you actually get to pick up the information that really isn't like that consistent with the information that you're getting from a pitcher to your point throwing at those Mm -hmm. arm angles with that speed and their body is moving very differently than how a traditional BP thrower, like a a coach is going to move They're in a different spot. They're closer to you. So the negatives that you get from using a pitching machine from not getting those things, is it really that, uh, is it that adverse 
compared to, you know, okay, Using I'm not going to get or... that close of information. I'm not going to get mm-hmm. that close of information from a BP pitcher anyway. So I might as well get the pitch right, like the actual ball flight. I I might as well at least get that piece of it similar since, you know, uh, I guess the point I'm trying to make is a coach throwing batting practice does not really look that much like a pitcher throwing to you. It does. In some ways, uh, it depends how you do it. Like meaning does your does the coach actually try to pitch? You know, right. use a pitching yeah. motion or is he just throwing it over the plate? I mean, granted, like I liked, you know, going down and hanging out with Nick and he's throwing batting practice. Now, he didn't ha- I don't remember that if he had a full leg kick and everything, but I mean, the mere fact that he was mixing pitches, that was awesome. When was that? And, uh uh maybe end of August or something. I was I was there before fall ball. Started. You went to you went to Georgia Tech? Yeah. What were you there for? I was trying to get flight scope to work. I still I need to email flight scope so that I can do something to get my flight scope working. Why were you yeah. in Atlanta though? Because I wanted to calibrate it against TrackMan. Oh, so you went down there specifically for that? Mm-hmm. And like you set that up with Nick and everything? Yep. And he was like, was it like individuals for them? And he was throwing the guys? No, we, me and him were just talking and we went into the cage and started goofing around. Okay. And so um, he was throwing to me. And this, this is actually like, so we, we did something that I really liked, which is to your point earlier, um, is he just like, I wanted to, I think you should, if your guys can handle it, you should just start off with this of do hit everything BP and it's mixed. So all he was doing was mixing and I had no idea which pitch was coming. And my yeah. whole goal was just to try to be as connected as possible or in the or moment as possible. To the ball. Yep. Yep. To him in the ball and just, just barrel it. Wasn't my, I was just trying to warm up and warm up by like, so, um, you, did you see Rafe Kelly? Did I share Rafe Kelly's work with you at all? Maybe. Um, he spoke at the sport movement skill conference mm. this year. Um, but anyways, I went to his retreat this past weekend and his whole thing was on parkour, martial arts, um, yeah. natural movement, all that sort of stuff. And so some of the some of the activities we did were just to like just warm up the body to move and to um try to be more perceptually in tune with your environment. And so like something as simple as like okay, we're going to move. I'm going to I'm going to fix my eyes on a specific target and I'm not going to take my eyes off of that target and I'm just going to move in as many different ways and explore. And so like, I just kind of, to me, it's like taking that concept, except now we're just actually hitting and this is a warm up. I'm not trying to move fast. I'm not trying to like crush the ball as hard as I can. I'm literally just trying to hit the ball. Every single pitch that is thrown, my goal is to try to hit it. Yep. And I think that's a great warm up. That's it. Exactly what you just said. That is that is a staple in any programming that that I have control over to be able to run. Um, anything that I have the control over, like I do, and I call them. And I think Chad calls them the same thing. No, no takes rounds. Mm-hmm. Um, so you literally don't get to take. Um, and I try to do them as often as as I as I possibly can. Um, I don't know that I always do the best job of explaining 
the reasoning behind it. That is an area that I can improve in because it takes like, that is so, that is so very different from what hitters expect and what people expect in this game. It's actually the opposite or what, of what the, they're or taught. What the, the, yes. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's more the opposite of, of what they're taught, right? Even yes. in batting practice, they're, mm-hmm. they're taught. Oh, I don't swing at that in BP. That's a, that's two inches off the plate. Like, so you're never going to swing at a pitch. that's two inches off the plate in a game. Like, come on, dude. Um, but it's so anti, you know, what they're taught these days. So it takes a lot to get buy-in with that. But I think that is, uh, it might quite possibly be the best hitting exercise that I like to do um, and could potentially have the most amount of benefit to any hitter at any level if you can get the buy-in and, and get them to actually fully commit to trying to get something out of it. I mean, in some ways, I don't, I don't know if I would go that far. I look at it as a warm-up. For me, it's a warm-up. It's, it's, it's something that gets you perceptually attuned. I think it gets you to your point exploring. I like it a lot. I just don't. Because I think really where you have to go with this, and this is what I see a lot, though, with a lot of other people, like they'll, they'll do some things that are ecological, but to me, you have to take it all the way in terms of representativeness. I mean, t- that's where you kind of go with the ecological approach is like, okay, where are you on the, on the continuum of representativeness? And to me, like the hit everything round is not that representative. I mean, it, there's it elements. Could be. It could be. Well, it could be. But I think like, it could be. But but it's not it's 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 one slice of the game, and mm-hmm. I've been thinking about this, and this this came up in the conversation I was having today about like the martial arts stuff, and because martial arts has just this panacea of like different things, and so in a way you're looking to see okay, I, I have you heard of the book um, Make It Stick by Peter Brown? It's about yeah. learning. Yeah, yeah. So in it he talks about this idea and concept of interleaving, mm-hmm. and so. To me, what I want to do is I want to interleave a bunch of different types of scenarios, skills, whatever. So for example, like let's like a hit everything round. I might start there and then I might transition to like a you know two strike round or maybe maybe a transition to a runner on third round, you know, less than two outs, get them mm-hmm. in. You know, like we just we're going to we're going to start we're going to start here and then we're going to go over here. And then yeah. we might come back to hit everything round again. But maybe yeah. I'm watching the player and I'm like, you're going to do hit everything round and then you're going to work um, you know, two strike round or something or whatever. So I might mix it up based upon what you see the player needing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I that's, that's it, how I would approach it. It can be hugely beneficial uh, in the example that you just gave to to provide a context where this exercise that we're doing to start off, there could be some potential crossover where you can utilize the skills that you're developing in the hit everything round or the no mm-hmm. takes round. Yes. Is, here is a context where you could potentially use those skills. Now let's do this. And then that helps them make the connection better because it's like, okay, this is why we do this. Because um, then it's the situation that they might actually be able to deploy that skill so the perfect example is you go from hit everything round to a hit and run round yeah i mean you know like and which is basically the same thing right (laughs) it is but it isn't like let's say i actually put a runner on you know and then we we actually put fielders out there and now now i actually have you because to me 
I like the idea, and we've probably talked about this before, you know, whether it's legend or not. It's something that I think if if someone actually did it, then we should try and see if we can recreate it of well, if the fielders are in motion on a hit and run, do you have the ability to, you know, or what does the pitch afford you? Because the now that the fielders are moving, does that pitch afford you put put it in the hole? Does it afford you putting it in a different hole and hitting it in a different spot where you would traditionally hit it? Um, and, and so that's, that's to me is where you make it more specific and then see what they can do with it. Because yes, it's the same, but it's not the same because once you start putting in different pieces into that equation and into that task, it's going to change the behavior. Well, cause it changes your attentional focus and mm-hmm. it changes different variables which you know are going to alter what you're trying to do and what your uh intentions are as a result of what you uh, as you as you alluded to what you're perceiving in the moment um which is going to change that um also whatever instructions you're given by the coach um Mm -hmm. whatever instructions you're given by the person that is instructing you or developing you or has expectations of you in, in that moment. Like for example, on a hit and run, most, most coaches want the ball where on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not necessarily one of them. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. that rigid on Same. that, but yep. Um, yep. a lot of coaches, it's like, whatever you got to do, you hit everything and it better be on the ground. You hit the top part of the ball and make sure it's on the ground. Um, those are obvious constraints with what guys are trying to do which which that 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 changes it from a no takes round to uh okay yeah i don't get to take and i'm supposed to be doing this and this is what i'm seeing from the defense which may or may not change what i'm trying to do um those are a lot of constraints and those are a lot of different things to try to be like grappling with while at the same time being in the moment and being like focused on the ball and like having that be your primary focus of what you're trying to accomplish. Um, so yeah, uh, that obviously adds a lot of variables, which could then potentially change your behavior as a result of all those constraints, whether it be environmental, psychological, um, the expectations that are associated with that as well. Um, those are all things to consider that are obvious, very, very different factors from the ones that you're going to get from just a, okay, let's not take anything and let's just hit everything that we see. Um, mm-hmm. It does make it more complex for sure, without a doubt. One, two, if you actually have runners out there and you have a catcher and a pitcher, like, you know, how much, how much, how often is it said, well, you swing at everything when you're on a hit and run. And it's like, mm-hmm. let's just think about that. You really? don't. Everything? You don't. Yeah. Right? If it's like way over your head or if it bounces three feet in front of the plate, you probably shouldn't be swinging at it. I mean, if, yeah. If, if, the, if the catcher can't make a throw on that, on that ball that's being thrown to you and it's not a strike, then take the darn thing. Like, there's no reason. Yep. What's the point exactly. of get, What's the point of taking, taking a strike there on a pitch yep. that doesn't deserve to be called a strike and you have, all you did was hurt yourself. It had yep. zero benefit. You could have a runner on you could have a runner on second without having to give yourself up yeah, and still have a chance to drive him in. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what I think though, you like by, by doing that and doing it live with the runner and stuff is like, they begin to, and a catcher because the catcher can then start to see like, can I get this guy out on this ball? I mean, yeah. because if you have as a hitter, you need to have some sense of what the catcher's capabilities are 
so that it can tell you what pitches you should swing or not swing at. Because we're going to be, as coaches, mad if you take a pitch on a hit and run that gets the, uh, that gets the runner thrown out on. You know, you're like, yeah, but it bounced. Yeah, but it bounced right into his glove. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that. Yeah. That's, that's not, that's not going to work. You still got to swing at that one. You got to protect the runner. So it, to me, that, that, that explains why you should have these different pieces involved in your practice activity. Yeah. Side note, I don't mm-hmm. know that I would do that because I'm not a big hit and run guy personally. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know that I would, um, uh, have any players that I'm coaching where I have the authority over what they are doing or not doing in competition. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I would put them in that situation because it just wouldn't be, it just wouldn't be useful. Cause I'm not going to probably not going to be asking them to do that in a game anyway. So that's fair. I, that's I a mean, whole, it's a whole nother conversation though. Yeah. For me personally, I want, I want my offense to be dexterous, adaptable and dexterous. Oh, so, I do like the idea of a guy running while a hitter is hitting. That's and fair. I do, yeah, yeah. And I do like... And but I you're, do you like, want that to be a straight steal if a guy's running. I want running. it to be organic. Like, I, I do not want to tell yeah, yeah. hitters... I, I don't tell hitters, hey, if you, like... Uh, if a guy's running and he gets a great jump, I want you to take that pitch. I don't say that. No. If it's something you feel like you can hammer, crush it. Let the hit and runs happen that way. Mm-hmm. Um, let them happen. It actually might happen more frequently as a result of just allowing it to organically happen, um, playing the game with what they're seeing in the moment, what they're attuning to, what, what the game is providing them, um, kind of giving it to them in that way. As far as like me, like explicitly saying you're going to run here and you're going to swing no matter what, like that's, 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 that's not who I am as, as a coach. I like giving, more of that freedom and kind of teaching before and after to players how they could potentially be picking up better information and being able to, you know, maybe provide the, provide for themselves better ways to be more successful. I think it's better if it happens organically instead of me legislating it by putting a sign on yeah. to say, hey, we're hitting and running here. Like, no, just let it happen naturally. No, I like that. I just... So when I'm thinking about what you're saying, I'm thinking about like, okay, how would I des- how would I design my practices to allow the players to fully take advantage of that philosophy? And so, like, based upon what you were saying, I would want my hitters and and runners to some extent, but no, actually runners too. So I want my hitters to actually experience that where they see guys just take off. We don't know that they're running; they take off. And quite honestly, I would want guys to have some attunement and some feel, one, sensitivity to that, but then also some sensitivity and attunement to, is that really, really a pitch that you can drive? Because if you feel like, you know, maybe like initially you're like, yes, yes. And then you're like, eh, not 100% on this. And he got a great jump, shut it down. You know what I mean? Like that, that you have to, you have to create scenarios where they, where they train that field because otherwise they're just going to take a hack there and yeah. it's going to hurt your guys that, you know, he had a great jump that time and, and he fouled it off. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but on, on the flip side, you then need your runners used to the fact of you go steal ball, put in the put in play in the air. You got to go find the ball. 
Yeah, yep. they need like, to be peaking. Yep. They have to. They have to have that awareness of being able to find the ball, pick it up, and know whether or not they got to book it back to back to their previous base. Or, yeah. you know what? Maybe, maybe actually, you got two bases or more there, and you've got to be ready to get going on your horse. I mean, because sometimes I bet you you'd see that too, where a guy just goes to steal and they see it hit and they just stop at the base that they're going to. Yeah. So, well. I think that from like a base running standpoint and from just like a play in the game standpoint, that is, uh, you know, that's just being, being, as we've talked about a lot here, being in the moment, being attuned Mm -hmm. to what the ball is doing, being aware of every bit of piece of info that you can be taking up around you in the environment to, to then be able to make better decisions and be more instinctual with how you are, uh, trying to play the game. That's going to lead to the most amount of success. So, which, you know, would be a very big part from an offensive standpoint, if I was in control of an offense, that I would be trying to instill those concepts and those ideas and principles. Um, and more specifically, if you're stealing, you like a hundred percent of the time you peak there, there is never a time that you are stealing, that you are not looking in to see, to try to pick up the ball as it's going into the hitting zone. Like, Always, you you always need to be picking that up because you never know if if the hitter is 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 going to be swinging at, at at that pitch or not. So you need to be picking that up. The other thing, from a hitting standpoint, and you brought this point up, it's a really good point. Having conversations with the hitters to say, "Listen, I want you to have the freedom to hit. If it's a pitch that you feel like you can hammer in a gap somewhere, I also want you to have the freedom to feel like if you want to take that pitch because you would rather hit with him on second than him on first, mm-hmm. take it. Like mm-hmm. I want to leave that up to them. Like, and that is a decision based on them in in the moment, how they're feeling, whether they're confident enough to be able to take a pitch down the middle. It, it, maybe it gets them to one strike, maybe it gets them to two, but they're confident enough in their ability to be able to get the job done later in the at bat to because they Maybe they want a better RBI opportunity. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. having the freedom to do either or, those are conversations that you have with your hitters as well. And then it's something you talk about before. It's something you talk about after ABs so that they can better be able to determine whether that was a good decision to either swing or, or not swing and how, they get, and how they can be better from that moving forward in the future. As far as a practice design standpoint, I think that's why I'm such a believer in playing games as often as you possibly can. Now, with the intention of having conversation before and after so that you can learn from stuff that happens in the game. But um, that's why from a practice design standpoint, as often as we can create those situations by playing actual games um, with the freedom to be able to stop games if necessary, to be able to talk about situations and be able to learn from them. But as often as you possibly can, you play games so that you put players in those situations so that you can then facilitate that conversation so that they can grow from it. But mm-hmm. to your mm-hmm. point, you you can't attune better in those moments in these types of situations from a base running standpoint, from a hitting standpoint, unless you are actually doing it and it's actually real, um, which is why games are so, so important for hitters and base runners and pitchers and catchers and fielders and all baseball players. It's so important for their development and the ability to be able to create those conversations comes from that. And two, I think another way of doing it, I'm, I'm not opposed to scrimmaging. I know that, uh, you know, coaches like old school coaches, that's what they would do a lot. It's just mm-hmm. scrimmage. I mean, I mean, there's, there's some value and utility to that, but I think the, the, there's another way to approach it as well. Like, let's say that's 
you know, you you want to argue that that's not the the best way. What like guys need more specific work? Well, I think you just scale it down instead of it being like just a you know a normal scrimmage where like it it follows the normal rules of the game. Man, you just you just set up those scenarios where those things that you want to work on are, mm-hmm. and it it's just a slice of the game. Yeah, and I for me, I'm I'm kind of more of an advocate of that. Um, I'm not opposed to scrimmaging. I think it's good, but if you need specific work on certain slices of the game or you want to give guys a certain feel, uh, because again, there's, and by feel, I mean like feel of a certain game situation that they're going to have to problem solve. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you should create those scenarios for them and put them in front of them so that they have to work through it. Because it comes to this concept, and this is something that Robert and I wanted to talk about in in a podcast, is this idea of knowledge of versus knowledge about. You know, you can get in front of a whiteboard and tell guys uh, or watch film and tell guys this is what you need to do, but they're not going to like it's way different than being in there and from, you know, a, a personal point of view perspective. That experience and that knowledge, that's knowledge of yeah. versus knowledge about. And we want to get, we want guys to acquire knowledge of rather than knowledge about. And yeah. so that's, that's for me why it's important to create those snippets. And those slices, rather than just look at film and just talk to guys and tell them what to do, you want them to actually experience that. That's the idea of experiential learning, mm-hmm. right? Um, placing yourself in the scenario, whether it be in an actual game or if you're creating more of a small-sided game mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, type of scenario, and you're repeating that scenario over and over again. So that they have to solve that problem over and over again, um, uh, in a way where you're able to get the right types of repetitions. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed today's podcast with Caleb Abney. If you're listening along at home, the battery just died, so we appreciate you listening in. Make sure to head over to YouTube and subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can get our clips and all that sort of stuff. Otherwise, make sure to follow Caleb Abney at CAbney18, I believe it is. So if you're not already, make sure to follow Robert or myself on Twitter. You can find Robert at R-O-B-E-R-T-F-R-E-Y-4-0 on the Twitterverse. And then you can find me and follow me at G-B-O-Y-U-M-0-1. That will get you both my Twitter and my Instagram. So make sure to check us out, follow us. And stay up to date with the latest from Finding the Edge podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Hello. Can't see him, but there's a little guy. He's uh, he wanted to join me on the outro here. So that's it. Yeah, you did. So we hope you enjoyed that episode with uh, Caleb Abney and our live commentary. Sorry for the uh, abrupt ending, but here's your outro to have have some sense of normalcy. If I can get a if I can get a quiet moment here. Ah.